Good morning, friends. If I haven't met you, my name's Kurt. I'm one of the pastors of Wild Street. It's a pleasure to be along here this morning. Uh, God's word is sure. That first song we sang, these promises are sure. His word is sure. So today, we're going to be looking at the word of God, which regardless of whatever is going on in your life, you can know is sure. You know is permanent. You know is evermore. Okay, that's the promise that we have from the scriptures as we look at the passage today. Let, let me pray and, uh, and ask for his help to trust that. Father God, we, we can sing those songs about your word being sure and, and yet sometimes, Father, we fail to recognise how awesome that is. So Father, we come to you now and we cling to your word. We cling to it because it is the only sure thing in this unsure world. And we want you to speak to us, to open the eyes of our heart that we might see your son Jesus and your incredible gospel. We pray in his name. Amen. What would you say if I said to you, what does a powerful Christian look like? What does a powerful Christian look like? Uh, Is it uh, the rock star preacher? You know, that gets up the front, can keep the crowd in the palm of their hand with a little bit of humour here and there, can preach for like an hour and ten minutes and make it feel like it's only about 20 minutes. Is, it, is, is that a powerful Christian? Uh, is it uh, the incredible author who, who only sleeps four hours a night, has written 650 books in his lifetime? Uh, is it uh, the person with incredible discipline? You know, the people that we all look at and think, how do you get into the Word of God every day like you do? Who hasn't missed a day, been doing the Bible in the year since they were five years old? Is it the person who passionately prays? You know, you feel like heaven itself is coming down as they're praying. In the way they're praying, it's so exciting. You, It's just got a sense to it. Is that what it looks like to be powerful? Is it the person who, it seems like whoever they pray for seems to get healed? Maybe not instantaneously, but they're praying for people for long term and people get healed miraculously. Is it the person who who shares the gospel? It doesn't matter. People just come to them and ask them about Jesus and they share the gospel and all of a sudden this person has become a follower of Jesus. Is that what a powerful Christian looks like? Is it someone who has extraordinary admin abilities, can just organise a church to death and just make it run like clockwork? What does a powerful Christian look like? Well, that's one of the questions behind Paul's letter to the churches of Ephesus. Uh, If you're new to this this morning, this is part two of a series looking at Paul's letter to the churches of Ephesus. Um, Acts 19 records how the church was was started in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. Uh, It was a time where, as Paul did his ministry, the risen Jesus was uh, demonstrated powerfully in that community. Uh, As you read Acts 19, there's these incredible healings done by Paul, people getting healed all over the place. Uh, Demons are being cast out. Uh, People are taking their, their idols and, and their pagan artefacts, and they're burning them, and, and it's kind of putting people out of business. It's such a powerful movement. Uh, of course, there was opposition. There was opposition because so much power. Paul was doing so many powerful things. There was opposition, and it wasn't easy for Paul. But over a period of three years, the ministry looked powerful. It looked powerful. It was doing some crazy stuff. But after leaving Ephesus, 
Paul goes around the region, plants other churches. On his way back in Acts chapter 20, he calls the Ephesian elders to him and he warns them that after he goes, that wolves or false teachers will come in amongst them and come after the Christians. Now, most likely he's speaking about uh, a, a group of people that made trouble for him up in Corinth or, or a similar group to made trouble for him up in Corinth whom he calls the super apostles. Uh, these are guys who had discredited Paul as, as honest and they said he lacked spiritual power. Uh, seen in the fact that he didn't take payment and he wasn't very powerful as a speaker, they claimed. And so he warns them that wolves are going to come and then five years later, the wolves have arrived. And so as Paul writes to the Ephesians from a Roman prison, he doesn't, at that point, he's not appearing to be the Paul that started the church in Ephesus. Where's the powerful Paul with all the miraculous things happening and the people being healed? And, and so the super apostles have come into the churches of Ephesus and they've said, mm, we don't know about this Paul. We don't know about this Paul. How can someone who's connected to the powerful risen king be so weak that he's in prison? How can he's suffering the way that he is in this life if he's connected to the risen king? And so they're talking to this church and they're tempting them to disown Paul and his gospel and to follow them and their gospel, which offered real power. And so to this group of people, in these churches in the region of Ephesus, Paul writes a letter saying, encouraging them to persevere and not be ashamed of the gospel and of him. The gospel and of him. A letter where Paul explains that God's power, God's ultimate power, is seen in the life of a Christian, is seen when they trust in what is unseen. God's power in the life of a Christian is seen when they trust in what is unseen. Is seen when they trust in the new reality found in relationship with Jesus. God's power is seen when we trust in what is unseen. See, my son Elijah, if you've ever met him, he has the most vivid imagination you've ever seen. Like, just extraordinary. Uh, he will spend hours by himself making up stories, and he, he's got a name for it. He calls it imaginating. I said, what have you been doing, mate? He goes, I've been imaginating. And as adults, we, can, we kind of think, oh, that's lovely. He's a child. He imaginates. Imagination is something for children. But biblically, the imagination, that faculty we have that enables us to, to, to imagine, is not just there for us to believe made-up stories. God has given us our imaginations to see things that are real, which cannot be seen. It's not just there to help us see made-up stories. It's enabled us to see things that are real but cannot be seen. And so when you trust in God, it is an expression of your imagination. And so in chapters 1, 3 to 14, Paul starts, as we saw last week, by praising God for the unseen reality that Christians are a part of that those who trust in Jesus are united to him by faith. That when we put our trust in Jesus, we're united to him. And as you are united to Jesus, you share in the benefits of Jesus. And so it's in that relationship, Paul says, that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. 
i.e. the unseen heavenly realms. And so this morning, if you have trusted in Jesus, then, then the word of God says to you, you are God's child. You are God's friend. You belong to God. You are perfectly forgiven. You've been chosen. You stand before God right now, holy, because you are united to Jesus, the Holy One. You are part of God's family, made up of Jew and non-Jew, and you will inherit the new creation, united to Jesus, who's going to bring it about. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Like 3 to 14 has all these promises which we can't ultimately see now, but are true. They're true. All those blessings, unseen, but are true. Paul calls them to have the imagination of faith. The imagination of faith. Ultimate resurrection power in the life of a Christian is seen when we trust in what is unseen. An unseen reality that he's going to pick up in verse 15, an unseen reality that had actually transformed the church in Ephesus. So pick it up with me in verse 15 up on the screen. He says this, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Paul says, for this reason, for everything he said before this verse, verse 15, everything said in 3 to 14, he says, because I see that you are trusting the unseen Jesus, you're living by faith, because I see that you are loving the saints, that you are recognizing the reality that because of Jesus, Jew and Gentile have now become one person, one body. Verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. See, we see that Paul's concern for the church. Paul was always concerned for the churches he started. He never just planted a church and went off and forgot about them. And so he, he's thanking God for what's happening. He's thanking God for their faith and their love that he's heard about. But at the same time, he wants more for them. He wants more. See, I find that super, super helpful because I think sometimes as a pastor you can think to yourself, I need to get people to a certain place in their Christian life so I can kind of tick a box and not have to worry about them anymore. Our instinct is to just be happy that people get enough Jesus to get over the line, so to speak. But that's not the case for Paul. He says, thank God that your faith and your love is being seen, but you know what? I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would have more of Jesus. Pray. And so what does he pray? He's gonna, we're going to see he prays three things. Firstly, he prays, the power, he prays that they would have the power to see and know the unseen Jesus. So verse 17, the power to see and know the unseen Jesus. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. All right, so if you're new to the Christian faith, this is something significant you need to know. The Bible doesn't teach that there's this one God up in heaven by himself, uh, but it teaches that there is one God made up of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's one God, three persons working in perfect unity. And in this little section, you see a little taste of it. Paul prays to God the Father that by the work of God's Spirit, 
we would be enabled to see and know God's Son, God the Son. That God the Father, Paul prays to God the Father that by the work of God the Spirit, we would be enabled to see and know God the Son, that is Jesus the risen King. But he doesn't just mean know, see and know in the sense of know facts about him. In the Bible, the idea of knowledge is this idea, it's the idea of personal and relational knowledge. Have you ever had a friend, uh, a spouse a, uh, or a child say to you, you just don't know me. You just don't know me. Now, what do they mean when they say that to you? Well, I think what they mean is, often they mean, you know stuff about me. You might know stuff about my situation, but you don't know me. You don't know my inner thoughts. You don't know, you don't know what's making me tick. You don't know my dreams. You don't know my deepest struggles. See, knowing Jesus is not just knowing about him. As a Roman Catholic, uh, that was the impression I had as I grew up. Uh, I went to religion classes. I went to Mass each week. And I was instructed in a whole bunch of things that I understood that I just needed to know about the story of Jesus. But when at, 18, at, sorry, at 20 years of age, when I was lying in my bed one night reading about Jesus, God gave me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And my eyes were open. And I was able to see not just the facts that Jesus of Nazareth died on a crucifix 2,000 years ago, but that he died for me. He died because he loved me. I saw the first, for the first time in that moment that, the, that it wasn't just about knowing a bunch of facts about what Jesus did, but I saw Jesus as someone risen from the dead who, because he died for me, did it because he loved me and I could be in relationship with him. Paul says, I am praying that you would know him more. That even though you cannot see Jesus, that even though you cannot touch Jesus, that through the words about him in the scriptures, by the Holy Spirit, you might have a deeper relationship with him. That you, as you gaze into his word, you might know his heart. You might know his character. You might know his thoughts. You might know his desires more and more each day. And so if this morning you are someone who has come along this morning and you're not a, not a follower of Jesus, uh, you kind of come, maybe someone dragged you along or you're exploring Christian faith, you need to know something up front. Becoming a Christian is not about learning a bunch of facts about Jesus and, and ticking off, yep, I can believe that, I can believe that, believe that, believe that. It is about meeting Jesus, the one who died for you, who rose again, that you might enjoy relationship with him now. It's about turning from a life of not relating to Jesus to speak to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to follow you. If you're exploring Christian faith today, that's what it is. It's not about knowing a bunch of facts. And it starts by praying. It starts by saying, just saying that to Jesus. 
If you're in that space today, let me, let me encourage you to consider that. First, God gives us the power to see and know the unseen Jesus. Second, he gives us the power to see the blessings of being in Christ. So verse 18, he says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The eyes of your heart is this idea of, of seeing with faith, seeing with faith things you cannot see. And the hope is what he's talked about in verses 3 to 14. It's, it's the unseen blessings of being in Christ. They are kept in heaven, in the heavenly realms, he says, for them until Jesus returns. That is our hope. And so Paul is kind of pointing them back to verses 3 to 14 and saying, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would enable you to comprehend in a fuller way verses 3 to 14. That the reality of who you are in Christ, where you stand in Christ, would be more real to you than ever before. See, if you've trusted in Jesus, growth does not necessarily mean you do better things every single day. Growth for you means to become more deeply aware that at your core, your chief identity, your chief identity is not about your job. It's not about the family you grew up in. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how well you're climbing the career ladder. It's not about your sporting prowess. It's not about your bodily abilities. It's not about your intellect. Christian growth is to have a deeper and deeper awareness that our primary identity, our core identity, is that we are united to Jesus. That we are in Christ. We are chosen, forgiven, a royal child of the King, that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. That death for us is not the end, but is simply a graduation to the life that is truly ours, the true ours, the true us. Paul prays that the Spirit would open the eyes of their heart, the eyes of faith, to enable them to see the unseen blessings of who they are in Christ. So first, it's the power to see the unseen Jesus. Second, it's the power to see the unseen blessings of being in Christ. And third, the power to see the unseen glory of his church. Power to see the unseen glory of his church. Verse, second half, verse 18. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, it's so there. It's of his glorious inheritance, which is the saints. Which is the saints. That is, the church, the glory of the saints, the church which belongs to God. Paul is praying that they might see the glory of the God's church. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Paul continues to pray. He prays that they might see the unseen reality that when we put our trust in Christ, we were united to him. We were united to him in his death. We died with him. We were united to him in his resurrection. And we are united to him in his ascension. And the, now the place Jesus sits now is enthroned in the heavenly realms. And we share his position there. 
In a spiritual sense, we share his position. We're united him spiritually. And that power that raised him from the dead, Paul is saying, is at work in us, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul is saying through Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, he is now the ruler over everything, now and right through into the new creation. And that same Jesus, who is the one who is over all things, he says, is the one who sustains the life of the church. That the church, he's saying, might fill all in all. So you see what he's saying. God has started his new creation. It might not appear that way. Because you look at our world and it's a pretty busted up place. Really busted up, in fact. And it feels like it's getting worse. But God has started his new creation. You know where he started it? He started it in the church. The church is the first taste of the new creation. And so Paul prays that the Spirit might enable them to see the glory of God's church. Now, why does he have to pray that? Why does he pray that? Well, because let's be honest, we don't see it much. <laughs> we do see it, but man, I cannot tell you the number of conversations I've had with people recently where people have experienced terrible treatment from Christians at a church. So much so that for those people, going back to a church becomes a bit of a mental health issue. We're walking into a new church and causes incredible anxiety. See, often what is seen in our church is weakness and useless, and it's broken. And so for some, and the people I'm talking to are people who have kind of come through this COVID thing and they're starting to rethink, oh, do I really need to be a part of church, that sort of thing. So for some, the only choice seems to be, I'm going to do it other places. I'm going to do it some other way. I'm going to go somewhere else where I feel less weak and less powerful. I'm going to make something else the centre of my Christian life. And, and so they come out with lots of different schemes. They might be a Christian friend or a couple of Christian friends. It might be an online Christian community. It might be that let's devote themselves to an online Christian preacher. It might be a Christian counsellor that they know. That'll become the centre of care in their lives. Or, or it might be a Bible college. But friends, each of those things, while they are a good part of a Christian life, a good part of a healthy Christian life, they cannot take the centre. They cannot replace the gathering of God's people around his world. They cannot replace the local church. For the power of the resurrected Jesus is experienced in the weakness of his body, the church. The power of the resurrected Jesus experienced in the weakness of his body, the church. It is seen, and I, I can tell you I see it here and I've seen it down at some It's seen in the gritty faith of people who keep trusting God through some of the most intense suffering. You just look at them and think, how are you still standing? And they're still walking step after step. They're still getting out of bed. It is seen in those who keep meeting with God's people, even though it is excruciating. A couple of weeks back, a lady came to our church who's had a really traumatic experience in another church, and her coming to church, effectively she had a panic attack when she got there. And, and as I was sitting with her and rubbing her back, 
She said to me, I'm just, I, I'm, I've got to stay here. I've got to do it. It was seen then she was trusting Jesus. It's seen most clearly in the love people have for others when outside of this church you would have no connections. Nothing. No reason to bump into each other. And yet in this community, you're loving each other. You're moving towards each other. It's seen when people step outside their comfort zone to encourage someone they don't know. It's seen when people have a disagreement. People have a bit of a bust up for some reason. Someone says a harsh word and then the other person forgives them. The other person says sorry and there's reconciliation. See, God's resurrection power, as messy as the church is, God's resurrection power is seen in the life of the local church. Paul prays that the churches of Ephesus would see the glory of God in the weakness of the church. See, the mark of a powerful Christian is not our gifts or abilities. It's not our charisma or talent. In fact, the power of a Christian, it's actually not our power at all. It's not something we have that we can wield. Christian power is demonstrated when God works in us. We're the recipients of his power. Christian power is seen when we trust what is unseen. When in our weakness, God shows us the glory of Jesus. When in our weakness, we trust him in spite of our situation. When in our weakness, God shows us, enables us to comprehend that we are his kids. When in our weakness, we actually look forward to the hope of the resurrection. When in our weakness, we marvel at the glory of the church. We use the Paul says to them, I thank God for your faith and love. But he prays that by the Spirit, they would have power to know him, their blessings in him, and the glory of the church. A prayer that when answered, what does it do? Well, it leads to greater faith. It leads to greater love. And so if today you're someone who's struggling to see the glory of Jesus... I don't know your story. I don't know where you're up to. I don't know what you're going through. But for some of us, we feel like we we put on these spectacles at points in our Christian lives where Jesus' glory just doesn't look that glorious. If you are struggling to see the glory of Jesus, if you're struggling to see the hope and blessings that are in him, if you're struggling to see the glory of the church and you're questioning whether you really want to be a part of it, then the answer is not just to try hard to believe it. I'm just going to make myself believe it. I'm just going to make myself do it. If you are ministering to someone and they have lost the glory of Jesus, the blessings in him, if they are failing to see the glory of his church, then the answer is not to go up to that person and say, you just got to believe it. You just got to believe it. Try harder. You need to read the Bible more. You need to go to church more. All those things are good. But the answer is to start where Paul starts. And that is to pray. Is to cry out to him and say, God, open the eyes of my heart. 
Because I want to see your glory, Jesus. I want, to, I want to live trusting that I am in Christ, that that would be my core identity, that I would live out of that. I want to see the glory of your church. It's to respond to Jesus with that cry, open the eyes of my heart. And so this morning I've asked Paul and Winnie to come and lead us in a song. I asked them this morning, so they're doing a really great job of getting it ready. Um, but effectively, it just repeats that line, open the eyes of my heart. That we want to see Jesus, that his power would be poured out, that his power to see him clearer. And so the reason I want to sing this song this morning is I feel like this is a prayer that we need to keep praying. If you read through Ephesians, it's, this similar prayer is going to happen at the end of chapter 3. And, and it's no accident. This is a prayer we need to keep praying. So I'm going to invite Paul and Winnie to come up while I pray. Father God, we want to respond to you in prayer. We want you to open the eyes of our heart. And so let us, as we sing now, may this be a prayer to you.